All right, everybody, if you have your Bibles, please open them now to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Today we begin to look at the topic of spiritual gifts within the local church. And though Paul will definitely spend time focusing on very specific spiritual gifts, gifts like prophecy and healing and praying in tongues, he will do that. But the focus of this entire section is not on those specific gifts, but rather on being truly spiritual people together. People in the local church who are not carnal in our thoughts and in our actions, but who have the Holy Spirit among us and within us and who are being led by Him to live for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. And so let's enter into this section this morning by reading just the first three verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Amen. May God bless the preaching of His Word this morning. We all have had powerful experiences in our lives, both spiritual and non-spiritual experiences. We have heard amazing speeches be given. We have seen extraordinary accomplishments done. We have at times been part of very fruitful times of ministry where the Holy Spirit seems particularly present. And not only have we had these moments, but we have experienced different levels of enthusiasm around these moments. Even with our different personalities, we all enjoy powerful moments such as these. Some of us might shout when we experience these things. Others of us might want to sit in absolute silence as we take it in. Others of us might quickly look for others around us to share in the moment with. Many of us have screamed uncontrollably at our TV as our sports teams have played. Many of us have danced till we are soaked in sweat at a friend's wedding or at that concert. Many of us have taken time to just sit and quietly absorb the moment. Some of us, sadly, have had past religious experiences in a cult or in a false religion in which we have done things in an emotional way that now seems strange to us. We've all had moments when our excitement, or at least our enthusiasm for something, seems to get the better of us, and we seem to lose our mind, or at least our better judgment with those around us. We scream, we laugh, we cry, we dance. This is normal. All of us do this to one degree or another, even the most somber among us. Why? Because we are humans, and we are emotional beings. But because this is so normal, when it comes to the Christian faith and to our understanding that the Holy Spirit is active among us and able to accomplish great things within and around us, many would say that what we claim to be miraculously from the Spirit is simply our emotions getting the better of us. 
Look at all the other examples of ecstatic emotion in our life. Aren't we susceptible to that within the local church as well? And shouldn't we be suspicious of attributing anything particularly spiritual or godly to these things more than just mere human enthusiasm being expressed? Those are good and important questions to ask and to think about. We do indeed have many different kinds of experiences and when we open up the conversation about spiritual gifts as we are today and the seemingly miraculous spiritual gifts like the the words of prophecy and praying in tongues and and moments of healing, many of us can assume that what we're talking about is nothing more than unchecked human emotion and just an unhealthy, carnal, fleshly longing to experience something new and powerful in our lives. However, this section of 1 Corinthians paints a very different picture. A very different picture. Even though Paul is very, very, very aware of the potential abuses and misuses, he does not tell us to stop looking for these things among us. Yes, some of these things at times might appear to be merely human emotion on display, But there is something very real here as well. Something very godly. Something very Christ-exalting. And we as a church family would do well to lean into this and to humbly pray for wisdom from God to know how to experience the fullness of His Spirit in our lives in greater and greater ways. What we need is wisdom from God to discern what is of God and what is not of God. How do we discern whether our experiences within the local church and of spiritual gifts in particular are are from Him or merely empty emotion? Well, friends, Paul wants to help us this morning as he introduces this conversation to the Corinthian church and to us. The main idea for our sermon this morning is this. Truly spiritual experiences are those that make much of Jesus. Truly spiritual experiences are those simply that make much of Jesus. We have three points. Point number one, needing more information. That's seen in verse one. Point number two, remembering past idolatry. That's seen in verse two. Point number three, saying Jesus is Lord. That is seen in verse two. Three, let's begin with the first point. Number one, needing more information. Look again at verse one. Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. I don't know if you know this or not, but spiritual gifts are a hot topic in the church today. Do spiritual gifts, particularly the seemingly more miraculous gifts, continue into our day? Should we expect to hear words of prophecy? Should we desire to pray in tongues? Should we pray for miraculous healing for those who are sick? Or have the spiritual gifts stopped happening? Were they particularly, particular expressions of God's grace and the work of His Holy Spirit during the first century of the New Testament church in order to establish the church in strength, but were never intended by God to continue into our day? Have these spiritual gifts ceased, or do they continue? Friends, I hope that it's no surprise to anyone in this room that, that we are emphatically continuationists here. 
Here at Redeemer Fellowship, we believe that all of the spiritual gifts continue to this day and that as God's people, we should eagerly desire their full expression in our lives. We are continuationist. If you don't know these terms, a, a cessationist is someone who theologically believes that the seemingly more miraculous gifts of the Spirit have ceased. They, they do not happen today. But a continuationist is someone who believes that they continue even to our day and that we should pray for God to use these things in our lives. We at Redeemer Fellowship are continuationists. But stating that does not necessarily make the conversation about these things any easier, does it? The, the conversation doesn't get easier because this topic is often a very emotional topic for us. We all have different levels of comfortability with these things. Some of us come from very charismatic, very Pentecostal backgrounds, and we love that history, and we feel like the church is not be, being faithful to Christ until we have the full expression of these things on display all the time. Some of us come from very charismatic, very Pentecostal experiences, but we have changed in our perspective. We've seen some level of manipulation and distortion and hyper-emotionalism within the church, and we want to avoid that all, at all costs, and so we resist any expression of these things. Others of us come from staunchly cessationist backgrounds where there was no acceptance of these things. And so, though we are now convinced theologically that these things continue to today, we really don't know what it's supposed to look like. Others of us used to be cessationists, but are convinced theologically that these things continue, and we are very eager to find a biblically balanced and wise expression of these gifts, and we're willing to explore it with joy together. But oftentimes we don't know where to begin. We need more information. We need the Lord himself to instruct us in these things. Well, good news, Redeemer Fellowship. We have 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. These chapters are the most substantial discussion of spiritual gifts in the entire New Testament. Three whole chapters committed to this. Why? Why are these three chapters here? Well, because... Paul did not want the Corinthians, Paul does not want us to be uninformed about these things. Look again at verse 1. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts. That, that phrase, as you should know by now, that phrase, now concerning, it's, it's how Paul transitions from one topic to the next within this letter. So if you remember, back in chapter 7, he says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. And then in chapter 8, he said, now concerning food offered to idols. And he says it elsewhere as well. It seems, by way of reminder, that the Corinthian church had written a letter to Paul with a whole list of questions, theological questions, that he is now responding to in this letter with his apostolic instruction. And the same is true here. Now concerning spiritual gifts. It seems that there has been some question and confusion about the spiritual gifts, and they are asking Paul for clarity. Friends, that suggests to us that the Corinthian church was not united about these things either. That like the church today, there were people who stood in very different places within that local church. Apparently, there had been confusion among the Corinthian Christians, and so Paul wants to pastorally instruct them on how to think about these things. He doesn't want them to be uninformed and just to do whatever they think is best for themselves. 
But listen, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Corinthians have a reputation, a a well-deserved reputation for being hyper-charismatic. They seem to have allowed the spiritual gift to take center stage on Sunday mornings above and against everything else. And there even seems to be a competitive spirit between them as to who is more spiritually gifted than the other. And this is leading to all kinds of chaos and disorder. So so a lot of Paul's instruction in these three chapters is directed towards those who are abusing and misusing these spiritual gifts. But listen, listen, if, if you this morning sitting here are disinclined from the expressions of these spiritual gifts, please do not sit back And say, yes, all you crazy Pentecostal charismatic people. Paul wants to talk to you. Listen up. He's got a word for you. He wants to inform you and change the way that you are acting. No, listen, the need for information here is not that lopsided. Paul's instruction is not only to those who are overemphasizing the gifts. It is also to those who are underemphasizing the work of the Spirit. And he has some very challenging, even corrective words to those To those in the church who would prefer that we don't have a prophecy mic down here. To those in the church who are very uncomfortable when we start talking about praying for healing on a monthly basis. Or who are very uncomfortable when we start talking about praying in a prayer language. Paul does not want us to be uninformed on either side. It seems that the primary issue that Paul is is trying to address in these three chapters is to answer a debate among the Corinthian Christians. D.A. Carson, a wonderful scholar and one who works a lot in the book of 1 Corinthians, summarizes this debate that Paul is addressing in this way. He says that Paul is trying to answer the, the fundamental question among the church, is it really true that spiritual manifestation, spiritual gifts constitute unfailing evidence of being spiritual people. That's kind of a weird way of saying it. Let me say it again. Is it really true that loud expressions of the spiritual gifts, prophecy, tongues, healings, that they are what constitute or they are what determines a person's spiritual maturity or vitality? There seems to be division among the Corinthians. Some of them are only emphasizing the spiritual gifts and saying that to speak in tongues and to prophesy, those are the things that that speak of spiritual maturity and power. But then there are others who in response to certain abuses and excesses there have gone in the other direction. And to both of them, Paul wants to bring instruction. I love how Paul even uses the word brothers in verse 1. From the very start of this conversation about spiritual gifts, he is trying to bring unity around this topic. He's he's going to say things that, that commend both sides of the conversation, and he's going to say things that correct both sides of the conversation. And he centers all that he is saying around love for each other. Notice with me the the structure of what Paul is about to do here. There is a a chiasm, a very clear chiasm in these three chapters. A, B, A structure here. Chapter 12, Paul begins speaking about the spiritual gifts by speaking about the whole body of Christ. 
He wants unity among us. He wants us to see the Holy Spirit's activity, not just in those who are gifted with words of prophecy, but also in those who are gifted in seemingly ordinary ways, like administration and hospitality and service and encouragement. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit, and no part of the body should say to another part of the body, we have no need of you. Paul wants there to be, no surprise here, we're in 1 Corinthians, he wants there to be unity among us. As the body of Christ, we should care for each other. That's chapter 12, and this focus of chapter 12 is highlighted in chapter 13, which is all about love for each other. It's the love chapter. It's been recited at countless weddings. It's in the context of spiritual gifts, though. Paul says if we all have all, if we have all the spiritual gifts in the world but do not have love, then we are nothing. Chapter 13 is the very center of the conversation in his chiastic structure. And then in chapter 14, Paul returns to very specific examples of spiritual gifts and he gives very clear guidelines for how we should pursue and practice them in an orderly and godly and Christ-honoring way within the church. He corrects the chaos. He corrects the abuses. But friends, he also says things like eagerly desire these gifts. He also says things like, I wish that all of you prayed in tongues. Might cause us to squirm in our seats a little bit. Redeemer Fellowship, Paul Paul does not have information or instruction for just some of us. No, he has instruction for all of us. And so, Redeemer family, whether, wherever we land in the spiritual gifts conversation, can we, can we lean into this together as a family? We all have a lot to learn. We need to be more informed on these topics. And so let's be students of God's word together and seek to become a local church who, by God's grace, understands his design and his purpose for all of the spiritual gifts. And that brings us to point number two. Point number two, remembering past idolatry. Remembering past idolatry. In a conversation like this, it is very important that we remember our vulnerability as God's people. We need to see that we're susceptible to not thinking biblically about all of these things, and that we can at times idolize a particular type of experience. Either empty emotionalism, or a hyper-logical way of thinking about the Christian life. Sadly, as Christians, we are very vulnerable to empty emotionalism. We can often be dissatisfied with what seems to be just the mundane, ordinary Christian life, and we can idolize always having a, a new and a powerful experience. And listen, God certainly wants us to experience the, the ongoing power of His Spirit in our lives, but we can't lie about this. There is much of the Christian life that is going to feel very ordinary and very mundane, and that's okay. God's grace and mercy sustains and directs us through the highly emotional and through the mundane and ordinary as well. Listen, there is nothing inherently more supernatural or more godly about a person who gives a prophetic word than someone who through faith and trust in God endures through an unwanted situation or through trials of various kinds. It's all a miraculous gift of God's grace. So we need to be mindful that we don't pursue emotional experiences alone, right? 
We shouldn't just want to experience something new and powerful just for the sake of feeling something. That's not good. That's not biblical. God is a God of truth. Amen? Substance. He's not just a God of emotional highs. He is a God who has spoken and who we must devote ourselves to His Word and to the careful study of it. But we're all in danger of being emotionally driven, aren't we? We all kind of crave the new and exciting. Look at verse 2. He says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. At the very beginning of a conversation about spiritual gifts, Paul is drawing our attention to our historical tendency and vulnerability to be led by our mere emotions and our cravings. He says, you remember, right, Christian, you remember that you were saved by God's grace, but before that, you were devoted to empty idols, empty things. You worshiped false gods. You remember that, don't you, he says. Paul is citing the, the, pagan, the Christians' pagan past, that, that before they became Christians, they had been part of false religions and false temple worship. And probably many of those experiences were likely ecstatic in nature, very emotionally driven. While writing this, I thought about the priests of Baal in the Old Testament and in their competition with God's prophet Elijah and how they danced and screamed and sung and even began to cut themselves in order to try to get their false God's attention in order to send fire. Before being Christians, we, we looked for emotion and experience in many places. As non-Christians, we did crazy things in order to feel something powerful in our lives. Maybe before you were a Christian, your, your life just felt numb and so you were led away, as Paul says here, by drugs or by alcohol in order to just feel something. Maybe before you were a Christian, you were led away by relationships and by new sexual experiences, just wanting to feel something emotionally powerful again. Maybe before you were a Christian, you were led away by your career, devoting every ounce of your energy and every second of your time to work just so that you could feel powerful in the workplace. Maybe before you were a Christian, you were led away by an eating disorder, or by sports, or by physical fitness, or by gambling, or by even family. Whatever it is, Paul wants us to consider how easily we devoted ourselves to things that we hoped would give us a powerful experience, but that were just empty and pointless. They could not deliver what we wanted. Paul is saying, as we start this conversation about spiritual gifts, Christian, remember how easily you have been led away in the past, how devoted you were to false things and false hopes. Paul even highlights the, the stupidity of that past. He says that we were led astray, not just by idols, but by mute idols, pieces of wood and stone that, that couldn't say a word to us. Why is this important in a conversation about spiritual gifts. Because Paul wants us to see how susceptible we are to being emotionally driven in what we value, what makes us feel good, what gives us positive emotional vibes, how we can feel more powerful, how we can get the next hit of energy before moving on. Friends, this is everywhere in our culture today, isn't it? And it's everywhere within the church as well. So much of the, the, quote, Christian church is just about emotional experiences. 
It's all about powerful experiences rather than about obeying Jesus as Lord. It's about finding your purpose and your success. And it's about your prosperity. And it's about you feeling like you are in control. Many Christians use the name of Jesus, but they do so only to push us towards empty emotionalism. And it's so dangerous. Redeemer, we need to see how vulnerable we are towards being led away by false emotions and desires. But listen, listen, some of you, like me, may be tempted to be amening in your heart everything I just said because you feel like me that you are better than empty emotionalism. You see the emotional manipulation of the church and you want nothing to do with it. But rather than landing in a truly healthy and biblical and mature place with Jesus, we have found our own kind of emotional experience. There's a whole lot less shouting and dancing in our world, but it's no less a false form of worship. Let's call it doctrinal accuracy or theological acumen. We hate the very idea of being led by emotionalism, and so we create our own version of an emotional experience by trying to cut off all emotion. We claim to think logically about everything and we want a clear explanation for every single little thing that happens. The very idea of the supernatural and that the Spirit of God might do things in an unexpected way, it makes our insides cringe because it seems so emotional and illogical. But listen, Christian, do you see that you and I have created a false God there as well? True empty emotionalism is indeed not good, but neither is idolizing our own minds to the point that we limit God's ability to work in surprising and miraculous and beautiful ways in our life. You're not worshiping Jesus as Lord as Paul wants you to either. You're worshiping your own mind and your own ability to maintain control of the situation. You're worshiping and being led away by the false belief that the truth is always perfectly explainable in our minds and that the supernatural is not how God works. Let's just, let's just read our Bibles and never move on from our Bibles. Let's just study theology and never pray for God to give us a spontaneous impression or prophetic sense that might be for the good of our souls. Church, let's be very careful that in our caution against empty emotionalism, we don't create our own equally non-biblical but seemingly more safe space for ourselves. Either through ecstatic emotions or through the idolatry of having control, what Paul is going to say throughout these next few chapters is going to speak to both of those tendencies. And so we need a better way. We need a way to discern what is true and what is not. And that brings us to our third and to our final point. Point number three, saying Jesus is Lord. We need a unifying criteria for how to think about these things. If, if those who tend towards full expression of all the gifts are not wrong, and if those who tend towards careful caution about abuses and misuse, misuses are not wrong, then how do we move forward together? Do we just let everyone do what is right in their own eyes? No, there has to be a better way. There has to be a more unifying way forward. We need a biblical criteria for how to think about the spiritual gifts. Once again, friends, we're not disappointed because Paul gives it to us here. Look at verse 3. Paul says, Therefore I want you to understand 
that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. That verse alone provides such a helpful way to begin a conversation about the spiritual gifts within the local church. Not not only because it gives us a criteria to judge what experiences are from God and which are not, but also because this verse reminds us of the person of the Holy Spirit and His primary work in our lives. Paul the Apostle has such honor for the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not just a force. He is a person. He is God Himself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, Paul says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He references all three persons of the Trinity together. The the Holy Spirit is not an afterthought. No, He is a divine person and we are called as Christians to have fellowship with Him as God. And what Paul does here in verse 3 is he reminds us of how, how absolutely fundamental the Holy Spirit is to God's work of salvation in our lives. John 3, 16, you you all know this verse. It's probably the most common verse in our world today. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the gospel, praise God. God so loves us that he sent his son to die for us. But listen, in the very same chapter as John 3, 16, a few verses before, in John 3, verse 5, Jesus also said to Nicodemus, truly, Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. What does that mean? It means that he must regenerate us. That our dead hearts must be reborn. It means that God the Holy Spirit needs to regenerate, reawaken, re-enliven our souls so that we even have the ability to believe in Jesus in the first place. This is called the work of regeneration. And this is reflected in what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. He says, no one can even say Jesus is Lord, and truly mean it, except in the Holy Spirit. And so before we even talk about the the charismatic spiritual gifts, we need to remember the glorious and broad work of the Holy Spirit. As beautiful as the spiritual gifts are, like prophecy and tongues and healing, as, as beautiful as they are, we must not forget that we would not have any of those gifts if not for the broader work of the Holy Spirit, our God. Church, the Holy Spirit is not just a magic genie giving us what we wish for at any given time. No, He is the living God who is central to our salvation. He was there at the beginning of creation. He led the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel prophesied of His presence and His future coming in greater ways. And Jesus himself said that the Holy Spirit is a better helper than he was himself. Listen, we are a gospel-centered church. We glory in the fact that Christ died for our sins. 
We celebrate more than anything else that Jesus and His atoning work on our behalf through His life, death, and resurrection has changed everything for us. But church, we would not even be able to celebrate this great Christ or this gospel if the Holy Spirit did not speak to us and cause us to believe. When in verse 2, Paul reminds us of when we were pagans, He's only able to do that. And he's only able to speak of it in past tense because of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. He is God and he has enabled us to see the beauty of the gospel for ourselves. He's changed us from our pagan idolatry and has made us children of God. And so church, let us never narrow who the Holy Spirit is by speaking of Him just as a powerful force or one who only gives these gifts. No, He is God and He is worthy of your worship today. He is worthy of your humble adoration and obedience. We would know nothing of the Gospel if not for His work in our lives. Paul says here that we can't even say Jesus is Lord if the Holy Spirit is not work within us. And this verse 3, uh, it does two things for us. It first of all unites us in this difficult conversation. Even though, even those who may think about the spiritual gifts differently than we do, listen, if they are able to say Jesus is Lord, they are brothers and sisters in Christ and they deserve our respect and honor and loving service. We must not write each other off in these things. God has united us together in Christ through the work of His Spirit. We are now one body. So let's not forget the regenerating and unifying work of the Holy Spirit. But this verse also helps us in a very, very, very practical way in regards to spiritual gifts. As we begin this conversation, it gives us a a criteria to determine what is from God and what is not from God. A primary work of the Holy Spirit is to cause us to say these words. Jesus is Lord. The Spirit causes us to speak of Him as Lord, to honor Him with our lives, to obey Him in practical ways. To say that Jesus is Lord is to speak of Jesus as God Himself and deserving of all praise and honor and obedience. He is our Master. We are now His servants. Therefore, all that the Spirit leads us in will make much of Jesus and emphasize this reality that Jesus is Lord. Therefore, all that the Spirit leads us in will make much of Jesus and not us. Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit came, the Spirit would bring to remembrance not all that He, the Spirit, taught, but all that Jesus taught. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come and He would bear witness, not about the Holy Spirit, but about the work that Jesus has done. The Holy Spirit is all about making much of Jesus Christ in our lives. And that's what Paul is wanting us to see. If we are truly being filled by the Spirit, if we are experiencing His gifts and His power, then we will be celebrating Jesus and not ourselves. We will be celebrating Jesus and not a new powerful experience. This is the criteria from what the Spirit will do in our lives. You know, in verse 3 when it says, no one speaking this in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. 
There's, there's discussion as to what that means. I'll hit two of the possibilities. First, Paul seems to be using an extreme example. This is what I think he's doing. To say how contradictory it should seem to us to have our pursuit of spiritual gifts do anything more than make much of Jesus and his work in our lives. To manipulate the spirit and the spiritual gifts to promote ourselves above other Christians is to contradict the very nature of of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's like saying Jesus is the curse. It's the opposite of what he's intended to do. But to use the spiritual gifts in order to promote the beauty and the goodness and the love and grace of Jesus is to function as the Spirit of God intends. You know what this is like? It's as if tonight when you are having that Eagles party as we play the Cowboys, it's as if someone comes to your party and says, hey, I'm an Eagles fan, but man, I love those Cowboys. Um, no. Those two things do not work together. You cannot be an Eagles fan and love the Cowboys. Those who are truly Eagles fans love the Eagles, and they hate anything that opposes the Eagles, particularly the Dallas Cowboys. Listen, you want to hear about a a modern-day miracle? It's a miracle that we allow David Batts and Dominic Draper to be members of our church. That's a miraculous thing right there. There are certain things that are contradictory to each other and that don't go together. My friends, if we are being led by the Spirit of God, we will not do anything that draws attention away from Jesus and to ourselves. We will not promote ourselves. We will not claim to have higher revelation or greater truth than his word alone. We will not compete in an unloving way with those that Jesus bought with his own blood. We will not promote our own logic and our own discernment above what Jesus says will happen within the local church, dismissing even a sniff of the miraculous as ungodly. No, all of that is equivalent to saying Jesus is accursed because those things oppose the lordship of Jesus in our lives and what he says will happen in his word. Those things do not happen by the power of the Spirit. Those things are opposed to the Spirit. Some scholars argue that when Paul says no one speaking the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse, some scholars would say that he says that because in that day you could use a false god in order to call down a curse upon people you did not like. And so they suggest that the wording here is actually that no one speaking the Spirit of God can ever call a curse down on other people in the name of Jesus. It could work. I'm not sure exactly what the interpretation is. But that definition, in other words, is no one can be filled with the Spirit and be unloving towards other Christians. And even though I don't know exactly what that means, I tend to think he's just giving the extreme example. But but here's what we know. Those that are filled with the Spirit of God are those that make much of Jesus and are those who radically love those who are saved by His grace. Even those who are different from you and even those who challenge you in this area of their charismatic understandings. And so my church, what what a foundational way to start a conversation about the spiritual gifts. We must keep Jesus and His Lordship, His preeminence, above all other things in our lives. He is at the center. Anything that contradicts him, whether that be empty emotionalism or doctrinal idolatry, anything that contradicts him must be confessed and renounced. The call upon our lives as Christians is to be led by 
the Holy Spirit. And the way that we know that we're being led by the Spirit is that we make much of Jesus and we love his people together. We do not make much of ourselves. And so, Redeemer family, may our lives in the mundane and in the miraculous be all about Jesus. May we promote him, honor him, follow him, make much of him, and may he lead us by his spirit to have a full understanding of the gospel and the spiritual gifts as they're supposed to be in our lives. Let's pray.